All right, you may be seated. All right, so we have been in a series, if you're newer visiting this morning, we're in a series called When the Blank Hits the Fan, right? And I think we're emotionally past all that now, so that's good. But we've covered several words. Uh, first was catastrophe, when catastrophe hits the fan, and then loss. Obviously, after catastrophe, there's a lot of loss. What do you do when loss hits the fan? And then we hit betrayal. And most of us, really, there were a lot of stories popping about uh, how betrayal hit the fan. One leader said that he started in the group and said, well, what's your betrayal story? And he said it so lit up the room he never got to tell his. Uh, So that tells you it's a pretty universal uh, event. So we had catastrophe, then we had loss, then we had betrayal. And then last week we covered pain, right, and walked through pain. That's a significant battle that a lot of us know. And this week we're going to talk about disappointment. Uh, I think that's a word that if I said anybody been disappointed in life, we'd easily raise our hands and uh, we could quickly tell our story. And so we're talking about when disappointment hits the fan. Let me move forward there. Oops, I'm not moving forward, Joel. Can you hit it forward? There you go. Thank you. All of us have faced disappointment. You know, many times we can rumble through a season or two and uh, things aren't that bad, but invariably life, circumstances have a way of leaving us hanging and deeply disappointed. It just looks so good, right? How could that have gone so sideways? Have you ever said that? Like, well, how did that turn out that way? Ah, how could it have fallen apart so fast? Why didn't I see that coming? How could they do that to me? I'm so mad they lied to me. Questions like these and many more come to the surface in the face of disappointment. Watch a, especially... Uh, the eyes of a whole sin, as a whole scenario folds. We're going to show you a movie clip, and uh, it's from a movie called Family Man. Uh, Nicholas Cage and Tia Leone are in it, but it's a, a scene where he disappoints his wife, and I think you'll catch it. But watch, watch their eyes. All right. Happy anniversary, honey. Now listen, before you do whatever crazy stunt you've got planned, I want you to open mine first. Well, maybe I should wait. No, come on! Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. open it! Zena. it at an outlet store. Look, I, I know it's a knockoff, but I think it's going to look great on you. Oh, enjoy it, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably expecting something from me. Um, here's the thing. I hadn't really planned on giving you your anniversary gift until tonight. You know, anniversary is good all day. What are you talking about? You can never wait all day. You can't even wait till it's light out. Come on. I know. 
<laughs> no, that's me. It's true. And, but um, it's funny. I, You forgot. You actually forgot our anniversary. I'll fix it. I'll go out right now and I'll get you something. I'll make it right. In that movie, Nicholas starts out in one life and he gets transported into another life and he's trying to figure out this new life, but you can catch, right? You see the eyes? That look of disappointment. Disappointment has a range of intensity uh, from slight and irritating, right, to heartbreaking and severe. And it, it can really hurt. We often pass it off with, oh, oh it was nothing, right? Oh, it was fine. But really, it was quite something. It really hurts. Uh, we've looked at this. Joel, again, I'm, it's not working. Can you? Thanks, man. Uh, Proverbs 26 is like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. He's a man who deceives his neighbor and says, Hey, I was only joking. Just kidding. You ever been run by somebody like that and they, they try to run that? Just kidding. The old saw goes like this. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but... Words can never hurt me. Whoever came up with that little ditty doesn't or didn't know real life. Right? Words hurt a lot. Physical wounds can heal. Emotional wounds can take a long time. The just get over it is a lot easier said than done. Many of us uh, have worked a lifetime to overcome the disappointing words that were thrown at us by people that we looked up to or respected or loved. If this is true on a human level, certainly it's also true on a spiritual level. Other Christians have let us down. We've been outmaneuvered and outchessmated, outclevered. We've been outspiritualized and misled. To put it bluntly, we've been deeply disappointed. But is there a deeper level? What if we were disappointed by God? Disappointed with God? What do we do if we feel that he's failed us? There's a Psalm 42 says this, I say to my God, I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they're saying to me all day long, where is your God? You get mocked for it and ridiculed and chided. One of the deeper wounds that I've encountered in working with people is the wound of being forgotten or abandoned, the issue of abandonment. How could you have forgotten me? How could you have left me? The phrase, I love you so much, I have to leave you, makes absolutely no sense to the one being left behind. If you love me, you would stay. There is a desperate desire to have the circumstances changed. You ever had these questions go through your head? Do I have to go through this? Right? I don't want to go through this. There's both a question and a statement. And by the way, while I'm going through this, God, where are you? 
This psalm points out shrilly that those against me are sitting back and laughing at me, mocking me. And so it brings up the question, God, have you left me? Why didn't you answer that prayer? If you're so great and so powerful, why didn't you get off your dead butt and do something before it was too late? Can we say that? Oh, we say that though, don't we? How could you have let that happen? Listen to the lyrics of the song again. You found me. It says, where, where were you when everything was falling apart? All my days were spent by the telephone that never rang. All I needed was a call that never came. You found me, you found me, lying on the floor, surrounded, surrounded. Why did you have to wait? Where were you? Where were you? Just a little late. You found me, you found me. Later in the song he goes on, early in the morning the city breaks. I've been calling for years and years and years and years. You get the stretch factor in that? And you never left me no messages. You never sent me no letters. You've got some kind of nerve taking all that I want. You Found Me is a tough song. And uh, the writer Isaac, Zach, commented on a little bit. He says this about it. He says it was a tough song for him to write. It's about disappointment, the heartache, the letdown that comes with life. Sometimes you're let down. Sometimes you're the one that lets someone else down. It gets hard to know who you can trust and who you can count on. He says, this song came out of a tough time and I'm still right in the thick of it. There's some difficult circumstances my family and friends have been going through over the past year or so and it can be overwhelming. He says, it wears on me. It demands so much of my faith to keep believing, to keep hoping in the unseen. Sometimes the tunnel has a light at the end, but usually they just look black as night. And this song is about that feeling and the hope that I still have buried deep in my chest. The starkness of those lyrics cry out like the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you don't understand that cry of Jesus from the cross till you've been through something like that and then you go, wow, what am I facing here? When we consider uh, disappointment, I, I want to suggest there's also another piece that has to be factored into the equation. When something goes wrong from our human perspective, we immediately point to God, probably because he's the ultimate point of everything, right? So rightfully so, all terminuses end with him, so we skip a bunch of pieces and jump right to him. But I want to suggest those intermediate pieces bring a lot to the table. There's more to the equation, in other words. The Bible informs us that we live in a fallen world and that there is a deadly enemy to all that is good. We must take very seriously the issue of spiritual warfare. It is not, life is not merely a one-directional game. There are more levels. There are more layers. There are more directions to it. When bad things happen, often at Satan's instigation, he loves to turn the tables and then pile the disappointment on and then accuse and assassinate both God's character and ours. He loves to call that into question. He loves to challenge and um, assassinate that way. Now, I don't have all the answers for this. Not only do I not have all the answers, but I myself have been deeply disappointed in life and in all candidness and honesty have deeply disappointed others in life. 
And as I look back, I realize, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I do know that the issues run deeper than, be cover, than can be covered in a half hour message. But it helps to know that Scripture is not silent on this topic. If you want to spend some time, just start reading Scripture with the topic disappointment in your mind and you will come away with some impressive and amazing stories and topics and lessons on it. I think it's good to know that even Jesus dealt with disappointment during his time here on earth. Let's take a look at a couple that he uh, dealt with. First of all, he dealt with disappointment with his own family. Remember his family, they came to get him. Why? Because they thought he was a little bit off his rocker. He had lost it. Somehow Big Brother had gone over the edge and and they were going to come and rescue him. And can you imagine the annoyance on Jesus' part when your family's outside the door coming to collect you because you're a little off your rocker? Right? That was a little disappointing. It says his own family didn't even believe in him. And then his hometown. When he went to his hometown, you'd think of all places, that would be the place where they'd start celebrating, hey, somebody famous has come out of our town. You know, Nazareth is like Sugarbush. There's no sign saying, hey, Sugarbush, Wisconsin, home of Steve Mitchells, right? That's not, there's no sign like that, right? Well, there wasn't one in Nazareth either that said, hey, Jesus was born here. And when he came to his hometown, it says they were so jaded that he really couldn't do hardly anything uh, in terms of miracles. And so he looked at his hometown and went, really? That's the reception? And what did he say? A prophet is without honor, ex- uh, or is without, ex- I got it all mixed up. A prophet is with honor except in his hometown. Sorry, got that backwards there, right? How about being disappointed in the religious leaders of his own country? The people who should have known, who should have tracked that, who should have been able to pick up the signals, who should have been able to watch, not only did they miss it, but the fact of the matter is they weren't even neutral in it. They were hostile and opposed to him. And he ended up fighting them the whole time that he was there. And it wasn't only just the leaders of his own country, but the secular leaders. So the religious leaders missed it, and then the secular leaders against it. Read the stories of Pilate. Read the stories of Herod. Read the stories, and you just find out time after time again. Uh, can you imagine the disappointment factor? Every time you turn around, you know who you are. You know your message. You know what the response is supposed to be, and all you get is rejection. What kind of disappointment would would that stack up to be? He had people that he was talking to. The rich young ruler. And he said, hey, go sell everything you've got. Come follow me. And the young ruler hung his head and he was sad because he had a lot of wealth and says he walked away. Do you think Jesus experienced any disappointment with people as he was trying to give messages? You know, we don't have all the conversations he did. We have a number of them that he gave. But can you imagine the disappointment factor when people didn't believe even after he helped them? Uh, Think about his disciples. Would he have experienced disappointment with his disciples? How much did he pour into them? You ever really poured into somebody? You ever really invested? You ever really significantly gave yourself and then you go down the road and they don't get it at all? 
right? You ever had that happen? What kind of disappointment do you think Jesus wrestled with? Do you think that Jesus was deeply disappointed with Judas? Do you think that Jesus was not deeply disappointed in Peter? I think the amazing thing of that scene when Peter denies Jesus three times, and it says, Jesus looked at Peter. And it says, then the rooster crowed. I think the amazing part of that story is Jesus didn't say anything. Because on a human level, wouldn't I would have just corked. Either sarcastically, or I would have cocked an eyebrow and said, really? That's the return I get after three years of investing you. You sit there and call curses. You're swearing in my name and telling people you don't know me. Really? That's the whole deal? I would have not been able to be silent. Here's the point. The point being Jesus himself had to deal with a great deal of disappointments during his earthly ministry. And if that was true for him, then we should not be surprised that that should be true for us as well. How does one hold on to their face in the face of deep disappointment? Uh, There's some unspoken questions here. Philip Yancey, I don't know if you've read a number of his books. He deals with a lot of these kind of topics. I've found him quite profound to engage with on a thinking level. And in his book, Disappointment with God, he asks these three basic questions. Number one, is God unfair? which I think anytime you're disappointed, uh, the question of fairness comes up. Second question he asks, is God silent? We're going to deal with silence next week. right? So this is an intriguing topic to you. Come back next week. And then the third question, is he hidden? In his book, he points out the odd disparity between our concept of God and the realities of life. Why, if God is so hungry for a relationship with us, does he seem so distant? You ever asked that question? Right? Why, if God cares for us, do bad things happen? What can we expect from God after all? And the truth is, there's mystery here. Sometimes God answers. Sometimes God answers very clearly. Sometimes we don't get much of a response. Uh, James Dotson, many of you remember him uh, from Focus on the Family. He has a story of when he was a boy and uh, his dad was also in ministry. And so he remembers his dad got really upset one time, uh, so upset at something that happened that he ran out in the backyard and started yelling at God. Backyards are good for that, right? Unless your neighbors are right next door like our house. That doesn't work really good. But in a normal world, you have big backyards, so you can go in the backyard and yell at God. And he said he, he was stunned. He'd never seen his father act this way. He had never seen his dad um, kind of accused God. And his dad was out in the backyard yelling. And so he said, I I stood in the kitchen not knowing what to do, and then it got silent. And he said, then dad came back in the kitchen, and Jim, as as a boy, asked him what happened. And here's what his dad said. His dad explained that he was terribly upset with God and the decision he had made, and he told him so. Jim was incredulous and asked, well, what happened then? Jim's dad said that when he couldn't get God to change his mind, he repented. What's behind that story? 
What's behind that story is that we have a lot of unspoken agendas when it comes to our will and our relationship with God. It says Jesus in this passage, the verses before, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Have you ever rebuked the Lord and told him he's an idiot? Now, of course, we can't say that because that's not Christian. What kind of pastor are you? Well, I'm a good pastor. And I know how we talk and I know how we think on the inside. And I'm just tired of all the Christian BS that we always cover. And, oh, it's all fine. And then back home we, right? So let's get real. You ever rebuke the Lord? You can't do that. How dare you? Right? This is what Peter was doing. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And I would imagine if we had the emotion to that, it didn't read like, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Right? We read it so vanilla, we strip it. I think Peter was in his leadership mode. Peter was in his cocky pride mode. Peter was in, I've been wrong long enough, I can tell you how this thing's supposed to go. And he looked at Jesus and said, Hey, no way, not happening. Not to you, ain't going to go. What are you thinking? Right? I think it was more in that tone. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. One of the things Jesus, you want to dance with him, he can dance with you. All right. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It is a disturbing lesson as a human to learn that God's ways are not our ways. I have found in my world the issue of God's timing is not my timing. Anybody else found that out? That's the one I've wrestled with. Sometimes when we're going and where God is going, turns out to be in different directions, and we inevitably hit that fork in the road where we insist that our way is right or we agree with God that his way is right. And that is a difficult spot as we must die to our own agenda, and that's not exactly in our DNA. Have you noticed that? There's a reason Jesus called the Jews stubborn and stiff-necked. Don't think we're any different. Marie Saint, the wife of martyred husband Nick Saint, prayer was, as a teenager, as a young girl, her prayer was, your will at all costs. Is that our prayer? Dying to our agenda and picking up our cross sounds easy until you actually try to do it. I was telling Abby this morning, we are singing one of the words of the song, go, easy to sing, hard to live. I usually try to identify those songs because usually my words outmatch my performance. And it's a good challenge for me to recognize that. It's not easy to be humble and tell God that you trust Him. Especially if you thought your dream was to help God with something He or you wanted to accomplish together. That is probably the furnace right there. But I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. And I thought you would bless me in that. It's also tough to emotionally process because it usually lies in the shadow of somebody else's sin against us. Right? Those two are really close to each other. Somewhere some sin comes in and wrecks what I was hoping would happen. 
And I found it's hard to know where the sin stops and the disappointment begins. Oh. There we go. Thank you, Joe. The faith component, all right? Romans 8 says this, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. It should be noted in there, it does not say all things that happen to us will be good. All right? That's the false billing in the Christian life. If you love Jesus, your life will go well and you'll be blessed. And everything that happens to you will be good. That last phrase we attach on there, and we never say that, but we think that. And if you're over 40, you know that's not true. Joel 2.25, So I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. God um, comes to our aid. And Romans tells us that he'll turn all things for good and that God can bring good out of bad situations. He also promises to restore what's been taken from us. The metaphor used here is locust, an animal in the Middle East, famous for stripping away every possible green thing in sight when, and there's nothing left. We aren't that familiar with it, but the sight of seeing a green field and green trees and when after locusts come through, there's nothing left but brown. No leaves, no grass, no food, no crop, no nothing. Stripped. That is often what we wrestle with is that feeling. And this is what it feels like when we've been bitterly disappointed. We have been stripped. Let's be honest with that. Of our options, our future, our dreams. God can create a new future, new options, new dreams. Um, in the movie last night, it said sometimes the old dreams have to die before the new dreams can come. But a lot of times we don't want the new dream. We like the old one. Quite frankly, we didn't want to move on. Will we trust Him enough to give our disappointments to Him and let Him work with them? Let's look at some steps to overcome disappointment. If you're wrestling with disappointment, here's some some steps for you. First thing is, you have to acknowledge the hurt. you got to be really honest with the hurt. Psalm 142 says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him and I tell my trouble before him. One of the things I like about that story about Jim Dobson's father, he was honest with his complaint. I don't have a problem with somebody who's honest with their complaint before God. This is my complaint. This is my beef. Right? But you can't stay there. Second one, if you're in the midst of severe disappointment, it's got you by the throat, you need to seek wise counsel. Proverbs 24 says, A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. By wise guidance you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors there is victory. The idea if I just isolate myself and sit in my pain, I lose. You've got to find somebody who can speak into your life. Usually it's a person who's been down that road before you. That, by the way, is one of the great blessings of fellowship is finding others who can speak into your situation. Third one is the hardest one. Do not return evil for evil. Isn't that so tempting? Slash that sucker. Burn, baby. Right? Torch. Flame on. Little smoke tendrils coming up. If you had the power, wouldn't you do that? 
But Jesus warns us very severely, do not return evil for evil. Vengeance is His. He will repay. And by the way, that means that's true for us as well, so we ought, we ought to all duck. right? And we ought to seek mercy from the Lord because we ourselves have sinned against others. Not only have others disappointed us, but we have disappointed others. And so seek mercy and grace from the Lord as well. The fourth one is the ability to give the situation and the circumstances to God. First Peter says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Notice the phrase there is due time. It does not say my time or your time. It says in due time. There is such a thing as the timetable of God. And it is very different than our timetable of God. The timetable of God can run in nanoseconds. The timetable of God can run in centuries. We've got 80 years at best. Some of us 60, some of us 50, some of us 40. The timing is very different when it comes to... But giving the timing to God at due time that He may exalt you, casting your anxiety. How much anxiety does disappointment create? Especially if your disappointment is in another person. A husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a family, an aunt, an uncle, a neighbor. Right? Creates enormous anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Means he cares for us. Here's the toughest one. You have to forgive from the heart. It can't just be words. It can't be show. It just can't be front. It has to come from the inside. See, Jesus is interested in changing the inside, not the outside. We will often posture outwardly what we believe, and God's not impressed with that. God's impressed when it functions on the inside. And therefore, He knows if we are truly working to forgive somebody from the heart. Or he knows if it's just words. And one of the things he does not like is when we approach him with our words, but our heart's going this way. He wants our words and our heart to line up. So it's far wiser, family, to start with the heart. Because if you start with the heart, what will happen with the outside? It'll match. Ever start with the outside and try to get the inside? It's like drilling on concrete. You ever had a hard time penetrating your own heart because your mouth's telling you the right things your heart's going, no way, sucker, I ain't doing it. They can burn in hell. Oh, we don't ever say that either, do we? Yeah, we do. got to start with the heart to forgive from the heart. Number six, holy place your faith and hope in Jesus. Margaret has a little tag on her computer screen that I love. It says, remember, your reward, your reward is not down here. And too many of us have lived with the notion of, I will get rewarded in this life and I will have all the boats and the cars and the homes and the money and all this stuff, and I will get heaven too. And we are bitterly disappointed when Jesus says, I never negotiated that part of the deal. Your reward's not down here. Your reward's in heaven. And too many of us have gotten that mindset of the prosperity gospel that if I walk with Jesus, I will be totally blessed down here. Now, if you walk with Jesus, will you be blessed down here? Yes. Many of us have been. Has it been a cakewalk? You should see your eyes right now. <laughs> like, okay, you can stop, Mitch. We're done. Thank you very much. Right? Has it been a cakewalk? 
stone, right? If we could start telling the stories of disappointment, we would be here all day. But it's re-anchoring our faith and hope in Jesus. You know it. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. How many times have we done that? In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will what? Make your path straight. Why does He have to make path straight? Because the assumption there is something's going to go crooked. Right? It's built into the text. Something's going to go crooked, therefore you have to acknowledge Him. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. And then I added this last one just for fun. This is a Steve Mitchell's, how are you, I love you, choose joy. All right? I've learned something about life. You either choose joy or you choose bitterness. And it's a choice because everybody is dish crap. We can't say that in church either. Okay, everybody's dish disappointing circumstances. How's that for being politically correct? All right? Crap. It gets thrown our way all the time. It messes us up. It stinks. I have to clean up somebody else's mess. This was not my plan for the weekend. Yada, yada, yada. You ever heard that? Right? Here's the deal. When you get this stage, joy's a choice. It doesn't come to you. You must choose it. Joy is a person. And you choose in there. Uh, when Israel was rebuilding the temple, this comes out of Nehemiah. They saw the second temple and it was pathetic. It looked like a cottage compared to the first temple. And it says when the people who were still alive saw the new temple, they wept because they realized how much they had lost. And Nehemiah and Ezra came around saying, no, no, no. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't look at the temple. Look at who the temple represents. You ever had your temple torn down? Tough to choose joy, right? Difficult thing when your body betrays you. You ask any nurse, they can tell the difference of people in the hospital. I had a nurse one time, uh, my friend Doug Moisant was dying. And I sat by his bed and she said, oh, he is a blessed man to have a friend like you. And I said, no, you don't understand. It's the other way around. And she said, yes, I know that. I was startled that she said that. She said, yes, I know that. I said, why do you say that? She said, because, she says, look, we're not supposed to say anything. But she says, we watch a lot of people. And you can tell the ones who have lived their lives right. And she says, you know how? They always have people like you sitting at their bedside. Joy is a choice. Life's not going to go the way we want. We've got to get over it. We're going to go through tough stuff. And it's probably going to get tougher. The stuff we prayed about in the beginning of the service is probably going to come our way. That does not mean we can't choose joy. And I want to suggest the signature hallmark of the Christian faith is those who can choose joy in the midst of persecution. That doesn't mean you're dancing, doing la-la stuff. It simply means I am a follower of Jesus. The Bible is the Word of God. On these two things I stand. And I have great confidence in my faith. Let's pray. Father, many of us have dealt with disappointment in the room and probably in some way or form uh, this message has ripped open a scab or poked at something we haven't wanted it to be poked at. And so... This morning, there's need of the healing of your spirit, a conversation with you, the need to reset, recalibrate, 
Lord, it's not that disappointment will come our way. It's how will we handle it when it does. It's really under that kind of fire that our true character reveals itself. Would you help us reset, recalibrate towards the kingdom? And help, I would include me, Lord, and you know that. Would you help us put these steps in place, Lord, in that we can have answers for those who also face disappointment? Because one of the great testimonies is why did you react that way? That's not how I would have reacted. It says that people will be surprised that we don't run in the same dissipation or the same hostility as the people around us. Lord, make us a signature imprint of how to deal with di- disappointment. Jesus, you're our role model and you've modeled it well. We give you high, high grades and high credit for not just talking about what we should be, but leading us before you ever asked anything from us. Therefore, you're worthy of a greater glory and a greater honor. We give that to you this morning in your name. Amen.